Kelly, did you change shoes between services? <laughs> Today's Bible story is about a man who had been castrated. And the Bible does not specify one way or the other, but I'm pretty sure that he missed them. <laughs> if you're a man, that was probably the best opportunity you are ever going to have to say amen in church. I mean, how often does it actually happen that the preacher says something that you understand and that you are sure you agree with? <laughs> if you can't say amen, at least say amen. For those of you who wish I hadn't said any of that, I'm sorry. But if I don't get your attention in the first 20 seconds, sometimes you never tune in at all, and i got to strike while the iron is still awake, if you know what I mean. Welcome to Pride Rock. Everybody's watching the new Lion King movie. Our Bible story today starts and ends in Africa, in a part of Africa where people used to worship the lion god. So even though my name is Rick, just for today, I want you to call me Pumbaa. Yeah, good morning. And if you could call Kelly Timon, this might be the greatest Sunday morning service in the history of West Winds, and it would definitely be the greatest preaching victory of my life. If you're a visitor, thanks for coming. Please don't leave yet. Things are going to get different in a minute. I don't know if they're going to get any better, but they're going to get different. For those of you who would like some more intellectual justification for paying attention this morning, I'm going to explain today how the story of Jesus came to be told in Africa before it was told in Europe. We're also going to talk about improving our relationship with God, finding ourselves in the story of God, and overcoming our next challenge. Finally, this is the story of a man who traveled a thousand miles to go to church. How far did you come this morning? My friends Bob and Linda are here. How far did you guys drive, Bob? Uh, 35, miles. 35 miles. Did anybody drive farther than 35 miles? Oh, how far did you drive? 40. 40. <laughs> did anybody drive farther than 40 miles? All right, we got a winner over here. <laughs> Let's go back to our hero who drove a thousand miles to get to church. He's a man with a good job. He's got lots of power, lots of responsibility. His boss likes him. Our hero is well-educated. He speaks and reads a couple of different languages. Thing is, though, he's like interested in this weird religion, different than everybody else. Everybody else worships the lion god, and maybe this guy does too, but he also has this interest in an obscure God that's worshipped in a faraway country. A God who centuries ago irrevocably bound himself to a group of fickle mortals with predictable results. A God whose heart has been broken over and over throughout history. And no matter how often this God is betrayed by these people, he refuses to give up on them. And I don't know for sure to what extent the guy in our story commits to this religion. But for some reason, one day our hero takes it into his head to make a long pilgrimage to this religion's most holy place. Now he lives in a place that most civilized people consider to be somewhere past the edge of the world. 
a place so remote it had never been conquered by Rome. It was a place inhabited by all kinds of weird monsters, the hippo, the rhino, the elephant. It was a land ruled by queens. In fact, if my sermon had a title this morning, it might be called The African Queen. For those of you who are younger than 70, that's a reference to a 1951 black and white film starring Humphrey Bogart and Katherine Hepburn. 98% on Rotten Tomatoes, though. Anyway, just like Bogart and Hepburn, our hero travels down a river in Africa. He floats down the Nile all the way to the Mediterranean. He sees incredible things, like the Sphinx and the pyramids. In Alexandria, he buys a scroll that he hopes will help him understand this God who would commit himself so recklessly and so unilaterally. Then he sails across the Mediterranean, and eventually he arrives at Mount Moriah in Jerusalem. A trench has been dug around the very top of the mountain, and stones weighing as much as 100 tons have been dropped into the mountain, into the trench, in order to support the temple that Herod had built to perpetuate his name, one of the holiest and most architecturally inspiring places on the planet. It might have been the largest spiritual space in the Roman Empire. The walls surrounding the temple were 10 stories tall. Our hero crosses over the street adjacent to the temple on a giant arch. If it's permitted, perhaps he ritually cleanses himself, acquires suitable currency, and purchases a lamb for sacrifice like the other pilgrims. Then he climbs up a staircase three stories tall and enters into an immense courtyard, a kind of Middle Eastern bazaar, the section where he is permitted to worship. This plaza in which the temple stood was the size of 29 football fields, about 35 acres. There may have been viewing areas as well where our hero could observe some of the rituals in which he is not permitted to participate and look into some of the places where he is not allowed to go. I'm sure that our hero tries as best he can to connect with the God who is supposed to inhabit this temple. I'm also pretty sure, based largely on my own experience, that he only imperfectly succeeds. Our story this morning starts when he is on his way home. If anyone has a Bible, I'm in Acts 8, verse 26. Now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, Go south to the road, the desert road, that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, our hero, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship, and on his way home he was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah the prophet, and the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. Then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah the prophet. Do you understand what you're reading? Philip asked him. How can I, he said, unless someone explains it to me. So he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Last week your preacher talked to you about soul work a holistic effort we make 
to become better people and make the world a better place. The Ethiopian eunuch is doing his soul work. Let's talk about the things he's willing to do in order to improve his relationship with God. How far is he willing to go in pursuit of a better relationship with God? He's willing to travel from Cush to Jerusalem about a thousand miles. He's willing to temporarily abandon his place of power as the queen's treasurer and go to a strange place with strange people. If you're a guest here this morning, maybe you can relate. This is also a strange place, and some of these people are weird. <laughs> Our hero is willing to take this dangerous, risky journey. He could get back home only to discover that his temporary replacement has schemed to become his permanent replacement. He's also willing to purchase a book. No small investment, even for a man like him. And unlike so many of us, when he buys a book, he reads it. Even though it's not written in his native language, and even though so many of the ideas in it are obscure and elusive, it has no pictures, and there's no one to explain it to him, even though the desert sun is hot and it makes him sleepy, he plows ahead relentlessly, exploring the idea of a God who seeks to give to his worshipers instead of taking from them. He's willing to talk to a stranger who approaches him uninvited. He's willing to be interrupted in his routine and even in his religious duties, long enough to focus on a foreigner who runs up to his chariot on foot. He's willing to admit to this poor foreigner who approaches him that he's failing in his current endeavors. In response to Philip's question, he reveals that he doesn't know everything. He explains that he can't even figure out whether the prophet is talking about himself or someone else. He's willing to invite this dusty, sweaty foreigner to invade his personal space. He's willing to listen to what Philip has to say. How hard is it for someone to help you in your relationship with God? How approachable is your chariot? Have you invited someone to help you in your relationship with God? If people are helping you, do you offer them a ride or do you make them chase your chariot? One of my mentors has been meeting with me to help me on an important project. The format of the meetings was a little bit unclear to me. And after we'd been meeting for about a month, I asked them a question. How could I benefit more from these meetings? And they said, well, I recommend that during the week you do some work to prep for this meeting and that you send me your work a couple days before the meeting so I can look at it and we can discuss it at the meeting. See, that was when I figured out they were getting tired of chasing my chariot. They were only really going to be able to help me if I could meet them halfway or preferably a little better than that. Sometimes you feel like you're trying to help someone and you just end up choking on chariot dust instead. Meanwhile, back in the chariot, Philip and the Ethiopian are having Bible study together. This is the passage of scripture the eunuch was reading. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a lamb before its shearer is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? for his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch asked Philip, tell me please, 
Who is the prophet talking about? Himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of Scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. My friend Carl Medeiros works with Muslims. The questions they ask are often loaded ones, often with dangerous religious or political overtones. Fortunately for Carl, he has a stock response in those situations. In situations like that, he always says, that reminds me of a story Jesus told. Then he transitions into one of the parables of Jesus. See, Carl has this arrangement with God. Whenever he finds himself faced with those kinds of difficult encounters, he has asked God ahead of time to always remind him of one of the stories of Jesus. Of course, it also doesn't hurt that Carl is someone who for many years has spent all kinds of time familiaring himself with Jesus and his stories and with Muslim culture. Likewise, Philip. When confronted with this passage from Isaiah about slaughter and humiliation and deprivation of justice, smoothly segues into the good news about Jesus. Now, where the Ethiopian was from, they worshipped a god who normally took the form of a powerful, lion-headed man, dressed in armor, sitting on a throne, riding on an elephant, with, with prisoners and weapons of war in one hand, and elephants and lions in a on a leash in the other. So whatever the eunuch thinks about the one the prophet Isaiah is describing, he certainly doesn't think that this mute sheep is very divine in any way. Who would ever want to worship a sheep god who stands silent while he's humiliated and then slaughtered? So perhaps the question behind his question to Philip is, why is the prophet motivated to eulogize and celebrate this particular individual? It's a sad passage in Isaiah. And I think the way the story unfolds allows us to conclude that it made the eunuch sad to read it and think about it. The eunuch would have been distressed when Philip explained to him how Jesus, who lifted all people up, was humiliated. Jesus, who came to bring justice to the oppressed, was deprived of justice. Jesus, who brought other people to life, was slaughtered. But perhaps the eunuch began to perk up a little bit when he found out that Jesus would not allow himself to be defined by his victimization at the hands of the political and religious authorities, but instead refused to stay dead so that he could become the source of a way of life that would remove slaughter and humiliation and injustice from this earth forever. Who is the prophet talking about? Who's the prophet talking about this morning? Who is the person who is being humiliated or deprived of justice, and what is our responsibility to them? Or is it us? Is the prophet encouraging us about a particular situation in our life where the best hope for a good outcome is for us to silently accept humiliation and injustice? Is there a particular offense that we should overlook? Which the Bible says is sometimes a glorious thing to do. Or are we better than Jesus? And is that kind of thing always beneath us? It's easy to read a passage like that one in Isaiah or this one in Acts and get caught up in all the things we don't understand but it's more productive to ask God and ourselves questions like, 
Am I humiliating someone with my words or my actions? Am I treating someone unjustly? God, is there something you want me to do to lessen the amount of humiliation and injustice in the world, regardless of whether it was directly caused by me or not? Incidentally, these are some of the ideas I'll be discussing with the teens of Student Journey next Sunday night, when we'll be talking about how the Bible can help us with soul work. My daughter-in-law, Victoria, has a nephew, Leif, who cannot pronounce her name properly. When I talk to the kid about his aunt, I think it's amusing to pronounce her name the way he does. Victoria does not find that amusing. She thinks Leif is a sensitive soul and that it's a humiliating way to point out to him that he speaks improperly. So I stopped because there wasn't really anything to be gained by continuing. When I think about this text and these questions, I think that maybe she's right and maybe I'm wrong. And that kind of realization is more important and productive than resolving all the difficult translation and interpretation problems that this text presents. The question the Ethiopian asks is a very important one to consider when we read the Bible. Who is the prophet talking about? When we read, we ask ourselves, who are these words about? And if we're lucky, on a good day, we figure out that finally, in some sense, the words on the page are about us. And that's what happened to the Ethiopian. As they traveled along the road, they came to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, here's water. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? And he gave orders to stop the chariot. Then both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. When they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the eunuch did not see him again, but went on his way rejoicing. At some point, the eunuch stepped into the scroll he was reading and found himself in the passage he was reading. Perhaps it started when he read about someone like him who left this world with no descendants. Eventually, he realized that the good news about Jesus was good news for everyone in the world, including him. And he found himself entering into the Jesus story. At some point, evidently, Philip explained how baptism connects us to the humiliating death and glorious, victorious resurrection of Jesus. And then at some point, on the desert road between Jerusalem and Gaza, they came upon water. The very thing the Ethiopian needs to do the next thing God wants him to do. What can stand in the way of my being baptized? The eunuch gets out of the chariot and stands in the water with Philip. In front of the chariot driver and the rest of his entourage, Philip lowers him under the water. The eunuch dies. He dies to every dysfunctional, destructive element in his life. Philip raises him back up out of the water, and he lives. He's alive to everything that brings him joy. I'm not going to belabor this point, but if you've never been baptized, what's standing in your way? I would be remiss if I did not recommend to you that you pull your chariot over to the side of the road and stop so that you can talk to somebody and find out how baptism helps you become a part of the Jesus story.
when God visited this planet and put in motion the final steps of his plan to rescue us. I will be in the lobby after the service, so that at the very least we can set up a time later this week to get together. Maybe it's not about baptism for you this morning. Maybe it's about taking advantage of whatever opportunity is in front of you to do whatever thing God wants you to do next. It's about breaking through the thing that you imagine is standing in your way. It's about seeing the way God has equipped you and provided for you. Look, here it is, the very thing you need to move forward in your life. If you don't know what the thing is that God wants you to do next, then look around you. Look inside of you at the ways God has equipped you and provisioned you. If God has given you a hammer, maybe there's a nail somewhere in your immediate vicinity that needs to be pounded in. My wife, Terry, is some kind of an expert at this. She figures out the next thing that needs to be done, and she does it. She started her own counseling office in Mason this year. She deserved and was supposed to get a lot more help from me than she actually got. But she's persuaded that God has equipped and provisioned her to do this thing. And over and over during the past eight months, she just kept doing the next thing that needed to be done. And God keeps making things work out. You know, we don't know very much about how the eunuch's life changed after he was baptized. We don't know if his career took off in a big way. We don't know if his financial situation greatly improved. We don't know if he got invited to more parties. We don't know if he ever figured out the meaning of everything the prophet Isaiah ever wrote. We don't know if he ever got to see the inside of the temple in Jerusalem. We don't even know whether or not his testicles were restored, although I choose to believe by faith that they might have been. <laughs> but we know this. We know this one thing. The only thing we know about how the man's life was changed after he was baptized is that he left rejoicing. What's the next thing you need to do to get to the joy God has for you? God, I have talked enough and probably too much this morning. Help us all now to go and just do the next thing. Amen. Amen. Acuna.